Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, is there a lot of coffee in your house? Are you a coffee household? Yes. How do you make your coffee? Uh, you know, I put a lot of creamer in it and yeah. a lot of sugar. Yeah, what kind of device do you use? I'm I'm weak sauce when it comes to this. Well, you know, just a standard coffee machine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Someone asked me if, if our, our coffee machine had been seasoned. And I was like, what do you mean seasoned? And that apparently, like, if you brew a certain amount of times, then it infuses your coffee with a better flavor. Yeah. Seasoned is often a term for grossed up. You know, like, yeah, that's is there I enough thought. stuff growing in or on your kitchen implement to uh, give it the desired flavor? Then yes, yeah, it is seasoned. What about you? Uh, we we use um, just a, like we have a standard Mister Coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, we've tried to use uh, different uh, you know percolators and stuff, and it never quite works out. We always come back to Mister Coffee, and then I also uh, bring out the French press if I want to do something a little nicer. I um, knew you had the fancy pants when it came to coffee. That is not no. I do not even begin to have fancy pants uh, because. There are so many complex ways of making coffee. There are so many different cold brew devices, and, and of course, pour over is the big thing these days. And uh, I'm I'm really, I mean, I'm not a straight up you know instant coffee drinker. I'm not uh, I'm not a ten cent cup kind of a guy. Yeah. But I'm I'm definitely far from fancy. Well, I, all I know is that um, there was like a month here at How Stuff Works when our our bean supply got really low. Yes. And you. You were the person who who uh, blazed the trails and saying we must fortify the bean supply. <laughs> so well, I know it's important to you. It, coffee is important to me. I, I drink coffee every day, and if I forget to drink it, my uh, my body is quick to uh, remind me that I forgot to drink it. And uh, and and I like a good cup of coffee, but I'm just not not as as picky as a lot of people are. And uh, and maybe my my taste in coffee is just not as nuanced. But but I do love love a good cup of coffee. Well, I mean, this is one of those things that you could discuss this for hours and hours. You could talk about shade grown. You could talk about fair mm-hmm. trade. We're not going to talk about those aspects, nor are we going to talk about the different varietals um, that exist. All fascinating, but we're going to kind of go into what coffee is doing to your brain and some of uh, the benefits of coffee. And uh, first, I wanted to point out something about coffee and uh, caffeine in particular, that it is the most widely consumed psychoactive substance on Earth. I don't think that's surprising. In North America, around 90% of adults report using caffeine every day. $18 billion business in the U.S., and there are more than 16 billion pounds of coffee beans produced per year. Wow. In the U.S. That is a lot of psychoactivity. Right and... There. The, the the number one consumption of coffee in the United States, guess. Salt Lake City. No, New York City. Oh, yes. That would, that would make a lot more sense. Yeah, know. yeah. Um, coffee 101 here. Let's go through some of the basics for you guys. Yeah, so coffee beans, of course. Uh, these come from uh, from the coffee plant, and these are uh, you know seeds found in the pit of a cherry-sized fruit on the coffee plant. Mm-hmm. And if you just... Um, if, if you've had the experience, if you visited like a coffee farm and uh, had the chance to try them, you can't just, it does not taste like coffee when you, if you just pick it up and it's you sweet, eat it. right? It's like sweet, right? Like a fruit. Sweet and a little, you know, bitter. It's it's not something where you, you would just feel like snacking on them. Like you're not getting a, it's not like eating a blueberry and it's not like eating a coffee bean. 
Presumably, though, you'd get a bit of a caffeine rush just from this. Yeah, because the earlier methods, if you go back in, in time, uh, you know, did not involve slow roasting coffee beans. No. Um, one that I ran across, uh, and this is actually from the House of Works article on coffee, um, is that uh, in uh, early East African tribes would mix the coffee berries, and that's, again, the unholed beans, mm-hmm. called a coffee cherry, with animal fat forming energy balls. Uh, so you could think of it as a, as a primitive power bar, except except maybe uh, a little less gross. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I was, I kid you not, I was thinking about the wrapper that would go around that. Yeah. Like just animal a fat. big lump of fat and, and coffee berries just poked in, and you just, you just shotgun the whole thing, and then you're good to go. Handcrafted. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, so I think the interesting thing about that, too, is that the, the beans are actually seeds. We yes. call them beans. Um, and coffee trees, they are woody perennial evergreens, and they are grown in tropical climates in 70 different countries. Uh, these climates, these countries, the areas are known as the bean belt. So I already mentioned the uh, some e- some early East African tribes. You have some stuff on goat herders as well? Yeah, there is. And this is, again, from uh, How Coffee Works, our article that we have on HowStuffWorks.com. There is an Ethiopian legend wherein coffee is discovered by a goat herder named Kaldi, mm-hmm. who found his goats frolicking and full of energy after eating the red berries. And uh, Kaldi tried the berries for himself, and lo and behold, he also started frolicking around. And uh, after witnessing the strange behavior of this goat herder and his goats, a monk took some of the berries back to his fellow monks, and then they stayed up all night long. (laughs) And they were alert, and behold, the coffee beans' powers were revealed. Uh, they also became rather big, of course, in, in the uh, in the Islamic world, and kind yeah. of uh, flowed with, uh, with the expansion of Islamic culture. And uh, and some people uh, say that whirling dervishes, uh, or actually um, uh, of early uh, Islam, especially, had, were fueled by coffee. Oh. Uh, whirling dervishes, of course, um, I think everyone's seen footage or films of this, where there's the uh, uh, they, they they wear these kind of flowy garments, mm-hmm. and they uh, they go into these whirling patterns, and it's really uh, really beautiful stuff. And but these, a lot of coffee would make sense. Yeah, um, I mean, apparently during the 13th century, coffee was extremely popular with Muslim um, communities because of its stimulant powers. Mm-hmm. So you can see how that also appealed to those monks with the with the goat herder who discovered it. Because what do you do with those stimulant powers? Um, it can be very useful during really long prayer sessions. And so the story behind this, according to Tori Avey, who is uh, writing for PBS in her article, The Caffeinated History of Coffee, is that coffee plants, they did not exist outside of Arabia or Africa until the 1600s when this guy named Baba Budan, an Indian pilgrim, left Mecca with, the legend says, fertile beans fastened to a strap across his abdomen. Oh, wow. Smuggled them out. Smuggled them out and established a new and competitive European coffee trade. Which leads perfectly to the Age of Enlightenment. Exactly. So uh, I think everyone's heard this story before. This is the idea that, uh, and, uh, you know, in, in human history, um, water wasn't always the best thing to drink. It wasn't always the purest. Um, so drinking uh, water to maintain your hydration level uh, might make you fabulously sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, better off trusting good old-fashioned beer. Now, the thing about drinking beer all day is that uh, aside from, from really I'm probably making you feel bloated um, most of the time. You're also going to be intoxicated most of the time. You're going to take long naps. You're going to uh, vomit in the streets. <laughs> and uh, and generally, you're probably not going to get that much done. I mean, some individuals have have a really uh, you know high work rate. 
uh, when they're uh, inebriated, but uh, I, I think they're the exception that proves the rule. And you have to remember, too, that th- we're talking about the 1600s. We are talking about societies in which, uh, you know, that the seasons sort of ruled them a lot more than, than our modern technology right. rules us right now. So there were periods of time, you know, in the winter, for instance, where there wasn't anything to do. There wasn't any farming to do. So what would you do? Yeah, and at night, you're limited by how many candles or torches can you light. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's the, the limitations were, were placed on them by their environment and by the seasons. So, so you would pass the time perhaps drinking some mead, some good old mead, and snoring a lot. And although you might have communed at a tavern, you would still all be sitting around sort of like you know, half polluted in your mind and half asleep. Yes. But behold, the coffee trade and the coffee houses that began to spring up in Europe. Because here's something else I can drink all day and uh, and not necessarily get sick on. And it also also has an influence on my my state of mind. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, people are chatting and they're awake and they are... You know, talking about all these different ideas, and they're, they're, and they're talking able about, to focus on them. They're yeah. focusing, and they're from all different socioeconomic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So you're not just getting one perspective here. And uh, this is what a lot of people credit for helping to usher in the age of enlightenment. In fact, there is a book called Uncommon Grounds: The History of Coffee and How It Transformed Our World by Mark Pendergrass. He makes that claim, mm-hmm. as well as author Stephen Johnson, who has a great TED talk about creativity. Uh, and cites coffee as, as being one of the fonts of uh, creativity and energy. Yeah. Now, of course, one of the things today you go into a coffee shop, like uh, I find this especially the case when I go into your coffee shop, because we each have coffee shops yeah. fairly close to each other mm-hmm. that, are, uh, that are our own turf. I know better than to go to Julie's turf unless I'm invited, because that's, that's where she's working. And then, likewise, you don't show up on my turf. No, not even when the power's out yeah. the other week. I was yeah. like, man, I can't go to Robert's coffee shop. <laughs> Switchblades will come out. But uh, but when I go to your coffee shop, uh, and I mainly bring this one up because your coffee shop tends to have more people in it, there are a lot of people just working with headphones in. There's some people collaborating. Mm-hmm. But it seems like, you know, within our modern technological age, um, maybe we're less likely to do a lot of, uh, you know, collaborating with people uh, in these coffee shops. But then again, we're connected to people outside of it. And I think if you're like me, there are certain individuals you, you chat with every day, uh, you, you know, by email and by Gchat and what have you, um, you know, be it a friend or my wife. And I can often tell when they've had their caffeine because that's when they're reaching out to me with all of these ideas <laughs> yeah. or cool stuff. And they're really excited about something. Yeah. And, uh, and if our caffeine levels match up, then we're able to go back and forth. If not, I might be like, ooh, I'm going to have to put you on ignore for a little bit because, uh, because I'm, I'm trying to catch up on my end, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this happens, I think. Especially on the weekends, I notice this uh, with my husband because I'll drink a lot of caffeine. I'll be like, and then we'll do this today. We'll go to Ikea. And uh, he's like, whoa. <laughs> I'm still on my first cup. So, yes, we know it is powerful, mm-hmm. powerful stimulant. Um, and it has had a lot of influence on the modern world. Uh, let's talk about what is in a cup of this stuff. Yeah, magic demons that that course through your blood and, mm-hmm. and and chew on the creative portions of your brain. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's just they just roost right in there. Um, Patrick DiGiusto, writing for Wired in his article, "What's Inside a Cup of Coffee," really details exactly what's in there. I don't know that we're going to go through every single thing that is in there, but uh, we wanted to hit the big ones because it's pretty fascinating. Um, here's the big duh one, water content. Uh, it turns out that 98.75% 
is water, and 1.25% is soluble plant matter. Okay, so you're mostly paying for, for water. For water. Yeah. Right. Caffeine. Yes. Another duh element. Um, but this is interesting. It's actually an alkaloid plant toxin. It's found in other plants, and it is meant to be a natural pesticide. Oh, so, so that's the reason it was developed, uh, or the, the reason it evolved in these plants. Exactly. Yeah. That's why caffeine is in there to say but to the bugs, hey, I'm toxic. If you chew on me, you will die. <laughs> now, what happens to the human brain with that same sort of element? We will find out in a moment. It's also also worth pointing out that it operates in the brain the same way that uh, amphetamines such as cocaine and heroin do. Yes. Which uh, which is maybe a bit of a, a no-brainer. Uh, but caffeine, of course, is a much milder uh, stimulant in those drugs. Even even a lot of caffeine, you're not going to get the same effect that you would get off of somebody uh, doing a much of heroin or coke, obviously. Right. But what else is on this list uh, from the Wired article? Okay, we have 2-ethylphenol, and this creates a tar-like medicinal odor in your morning uh, coffee there. It's also, this is awesome, a component <laughs> of cockroach alarm pheromones, chemical signals that warn the colony of danger. Wow. The same chemical. Then there's also a quinic acid, and this gives coffee its slightly sour flavor. Uh, and it's also one of the starter um, chemicals in the formulation of Tamiflu. There is also something called acetyl methyl carbonyl. And uh, according to the article, it's that rich, buttery taste in your daily jolt, which comes in part from this flammable yellow liquid, uh, the same liquid that gives real butter its flavor and is a component of artificial flavoring in microwave popcorn. Mm-hmm. And then we have left the best for last. It's putrescine, right? Yeah. Which sounds lovely. It sounds like something you want in your daily cup. Yeah, it's an organic chemical compound, and it's related to cadaverine. And both are <laughs> both are produced by the breakdown of amino acids in living and dead organisms. So uh, Digesto, in his article, actually describes the smell as Satan's outhouse. And now that, um, why would Satan have a, 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 an awful outhouse? I think it depends on your interpretation. He might have a really clean outhouse. Well, that because I think you your version is a benevolent Satan. Or you know, or maybe it's like constantly cleaned by, um, you know, by by the suffering damned. I don't know. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Well, in that case, then they might be that, that might be a component of it. Yeah, but I'm I'm hijacking the discussion <laughs> with non scientific data here. Uh, thankfully, that the amount of putrescine is just minuscule, so it's at scant levels. That that wonderful outhouse smell. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little more about uh, specifically the most uh, one of the really exciting things here is, is how does coffee affect creativity? And uh, you might be surprised at some of what we have to say about that. And, yes, we'll also talk about coffee's ability to, uh, shall we say, ramp up the digestive system. All right, we're back. We're talking about coffee. We're talking about the effects that coffee has on the body and on the mind. So uh, let's get to it. What uh, What's next on the plate? All right, so in we're going to talk about the chemical changes in our brain because okay. this is what caffeine is doing. It is gaming the brain, and uh, specifically, it is crossing over the blood-brain barrier. Now, this is that, that interface between the brain and the body's circulatory system that is mm-hmm. meant to ta- to keep out all the bad chemicals. But caffeine can cross into the brain, and when it does, 
it becomes an imposter of sorts. Now, when I say imposter, I mean that it is taking on the identity of something called adenosine. Now, adenosine is this byproduct of um, all those neurons firing. It creates this substance in the brain. And the buildup of adenosine is actually monitored by your nervous system. So your nervous system says, oh, there's a lot of adenosine accumulated here. This is going to tip off this whole reaction in our body that says that we need to take a nap or go to sleep mm-hmm. or even wake up. Adenosine is part and parcel of, of how we manage our body clock. And what happens is that that caffeine sneaks in and it looks chemically similar to adenosine. So it takes adenosine's place in the adenosine receptors. It bonds to the receptors. And what happens is that it blocks that adenosine from bonding with those receptors. And now your body, your brain doesn't know what's going on. It doesn't have uh, the, the sort of signals that it might get from those receptors saying, whoa, we need to slow down the body. Mm-hmm. So that's how uh, caffeine can bond with those receptors and change your level of energy. Even when you're, you really should be tired. This is how you get that, uh, that, like that, that 11.30 p.m. boost to finish uh, studying for the test the next day. Yeah, exactly, because you are tricking your body into thinking that it's not tired. Right. Yeah. Very sneaky, don't you think? Yeah, it is. There's a lot more, uh, yeah, a lot more sneakiness involved than, than you would initially think. Now, um, this also causes increased neuron firings. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more just pew pew going on in the brain as the, <laughs> the ideas fire around and, uh, and, and you start making plans for the day, the, the book you're going to write, the IKEA trip you're going to make, all that. That's right, because all of that increased neuron firing is causing the pituitary to gland to, to sort of wake up and go, wow, that's a lot of activity going on. There's, there must be an emergency. And then the adrenal glands get on, get in on the game. And of course, adrenaline is produced and your pupils dilate, your heart rate increases, mm-hmm. your, your airways open up among a lot of other things. But yeah, this is what gets you into that. 1,000 ideas have to come out of my brain right now. <laughs> yeah, so you got boosted energy, decreased fatigue, and it enhances physical, cognitive, and motor performance. It aids short-term memory, mm-hmm. problem-solving, decision-making, and concentration. These are all great reasons to have a cup of coffee. But the question is, is some of this psychological? You, you mean like the uh, the placebo effect? Exactly. Where I say, all right, I'm, I'm no good till I have my morning cup, and I'm just by believing that, I'm no good till I have my morning cup. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we we've talked about the the power of the placebo. Yeah, effect. the placebo effect absolutely works. Um, whatever kind of quack, uh, uh, you know, um, medicine you're taking or magic bean you're swallowing, right? That's a whole other story. But the placebo effect, the ability to believe in something's positive or negative effect, in the and uh, in some cases, you know, there's a whole nocebo thing to discuss. Um, that actually works. So just believing that it does something can, in certain cases, have an effect as right. long as you believe in it. So, for instance, your heart rate, yes, it does increase, but if you know that uh, caffeine and coffee will help you to better focus, mm-hmm. are you more predisposed to really engage in being focused? Yeah. Um, so there is a 2011 study at the University of East London where a group of psychologists examined the effects of caffeine on problem solving. 
and emotional responses. And in a double-blind study, 88 habitual coffee drinkers were given cups of caffeinated and decaffeinated coffees at random. So subjects who received caffeine, but they were told that they were drinking decaf, did not show an improved reaction time in the task that they gave, that the research group gave them. And likewise, in a measure of reward motivation, in something called the card arranging reward responsivity objectivity test, mm-hmm. another um, way of measuring this, the participants who believed they had consumed coffee sorted the cards more quickly than those who believed that they consumed decaf. So no doubt there is, in part, a psychological component of coffee. Yeah, and I guess, you know, really there there has to be in anything you take. I mean, uh, like uh, I I think you were you you spoke recently about having an ice cream that was Chardonnay flavored, if I remember. Uh, No, Riesling. Riesling Riesling and pear popsicle. Right. And let's be honest, there was probably very small amount of, of, of alcohol, if, if any, really. In that. I could taste it. I'm t- well, yeah, okay, so we should tell everybody I don't drink. So right. when I had, when the Riesling hit my tongue, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so it brought back memories of having had Riesling. And after I finished that popsicle and I finished every drop of it, um, I did feel a little bit eh, loopy, but then I wondered. Yeah, to what extent is that the placebo effect? Yeah. yeah. To what extent is it just your mind saying, oh, this, this tastes like Riesling, and therefore this is the Riesling effect. I feel, I feel lighter. I feel a little, uh, a little happier, and maybe I shouldn't drive a tractor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't drive a tractor that Good. day. Good. But I was on vacation, and you're right. I was sort of primed, and you know, mm-hmm. it was at the beach, and you know, I was like, not a care in the world. Hmm. So, yeah, the Riesling effect. So uh, over the years, there just have been a, a raft of studies that extol the virtues of coffee um, from the nutrient and antioxidant content to the idea that it could lower the risk of type 2 diabetes, some types of cancers. Um, I think there was even one study that had a 10% increase in longevity. So we could spend hours and hours on that, but I thought it would might make a little bit more sense if we talked about some of the real pronounced effects of coffee and I'm talking about coffee and dementia. Yes. Because animal experiments show that caffeine may reshape the biochemical environment inside our brains in a way that could actually stave off dementia. And this is a very big concern as we age, right? Because yeah. dementia seems to be some, one of those um, illnesses that seems to become more and more prevalent in our society. Well, it's, it's one of the two big trolls under the, the, the bridge when it comes to aging. And am I going to, is my body going to fail? Mm-hmm. Is my mind going to fail? Or are both trolls going to jump out and get me? Exactly, so. exactly. So there's a 2012 experiment at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and mice were briefly starved of oxygen, causing them to lose the ability to form memories. Half of the mice received a dose of caffeine that was equivalent to several cups of coffee, so that's on par with what we would mm-hmm. consume, right? And then uh, after they were re-oxygenated, the caffeinated mice regained their ability to form new memories 33% faster than the uncaffeinated. And these were, these were again, coffees for mice. Right, like tiny little cups. Yeah, yeah, not like full-size human cups. And little cafe tables. Um, so close examination of the animal's brain tissue showed that the caffeine disrupted the action of adenosine, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be destructive, it turns out, if it leaks out when the cells are injured or under stress. So this is something that we've seen in, in dementia. So the escaped adenosine can jumpstart a biochemical cascade leading to inflammation, and that can disrupt the function of neurons and, and the neuronal connections, right, and contribute to neurodegeneration. 
So we're talking about dementia here, and we're talking about, again, that caffeine binding to those adenosine receptors and stopping that in potentially dementia. So in a 2012 study of humans, uh, researchers from the University of South Florida and the University of Miami tested the blood levels of caffeine in older adults with mild cognitive impairment or perhaps even the first glimmer of some serious forgetfulness, uh, which is usually a precursor of Alzheimer's. And then they re-evaluated, re-evaluated them two to four years later. So, of course, what was the big deal with all this? The participants with little or no caffeine circulating in their bloodstreams were far more likely to have progressed to full-blown Alzheimer's rather than those whose blood indicated that they had about three cups worth of coffee a day. Huh. So, in, in, in a sense, the, the use of coffee was able to slow down the steady approach of uh, dementia and or Alzheimer's. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's a great thing, right? And like yeah. I said, there's a whole raft of studies that will talk about the benefits of coffee, but these are a couple of things that are very promising. And I still feel, though, that coffee is emerging from its shadow self, and that's really the studies that came out in the early 70s and the 80s saying, oh, coffee is awful. And the reason for this is mm-hmm. because... Those studies in the 70s, uh, they were talking, they were looking at people who were both smoking and consuming coffee. And at that time, they didn't realize the, the implications of smoking as much as we do now. Yeah. And, and coffee and cigarettes went together, uh, great there. Yeah. Okay. It's like PB&J, exactly. coffee and cigarettes. So they didn't take out those participants who were smokers and that definitely skewed some of the results of the studies that they were looking at. In addition, they had the one very famous study in which rats were giving something like a crazy amount of milligrams of caffeine, Mm -hmm. which caused their offspring to have birth defects. Well, the problem with that is that the amount of caffeine they were given was not nearly on par with what we consume as adults. Right. Or certainly like we were talking about the mice, we're we're having the equivalent of so many cups. Exactly. In that other experiment. In this experiment, the rats were having uh, the equivalent of many, 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 many cups, like just an outrageous amount. A toxic level, a toxic amount of caffeine. So they went back, actually, and they they redid the study with the appropriate amount of of caffeine, Mm -hmm. and they found that their offspring were completely fine. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that because I still feel like coffee has that a bit of that... Around it. Yeah. Not to say that coffee can't be bad for you if consumed in, in massive quantities, because it can be. Well, I feel like coffee and red wine are both uh, substances that so many studies are done on their about their effects. Uh, and, you know, and do in large part because they're both consumed in such large quantities. And then when with red wine, you have the, the, you know, the, the various antioxidants that, uh, that sort of up the game for your research uh, related to them. Mm-hmm. But you kind of get blinders after a while. You, if you hear enough I, you know, studies about why you should drink coffee and why it's okay to drink red, red wine, you just sort of, you know, check it off in your mind where it's like, okay, these are good. I'll just keep doing these. But what happens uh, when you drink too much coffee? Well, uh, you certainly become addicted to it. Now, some people get caffeine headaches if they have too much coffee. I've never suffered from this. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, and this is according to the American Psychiatric Association's uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the, mm-hmm. the Bible, um, of psychology, some people can experience caffeine intoxication symptoms, including restlessness, nervousness, excitement, insomnia, flush face, and gastrointestinal complaints. Well, to me, that's kind of a no-duh, right? Yeah. And specifically because of the coffee mug that we recently saw. Oh, yes. What did that coffee mug say, Julie? I think that it just, it's a brown coffee mug, and I think it said, coffee makes me poop. 
Yes, and this is a true statement that's backed up by scientific research because uh, uh, there's a 1990 study uh, titled uh, Effect of Coffee on Distal Colon Function, and the, the results suggest that drinking coffee can stimulate a motor response of the distal colon in some normal people. So um, I think most people can attest to this, and uh, and actually uh, stand-up comedian um, Hannibal Burris had a great bit about this in his act. He was talking about how he started... Um, he, he, you know, stand-up comedian, and then he gets a job writing for Thirty Rock, and he would never dr- consumed coffee before. Mm-hmm. And then he starts drinking coffee because it's there in the the office. All the other writers are drinking, it, and he starts drinking it. And then he he's he's like freaking out. He's like, nobody told me about all the pooping that was going to happen. That suddenly I drink the coffee and I have to <laughs> run to the toilet. Um, and it's I think most people can attest that yes, you drink uh, some coffee and it can it can really jumpstart the the system. Your mind gets excited, but so do do, do other uh, parts of the anatomy, and uh, so you've got to run for shelter. Well, and it's a diuretic, right? So mm-hmm. you also have to urinate a lot more. In fact, another thirty rock uh, thread here. I don't know if you've read Bossy Pants. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you recall in the part that said that uh, that Tina Fey is talking about being a writer and in, in the culture of writing comedy for TV that she noticed that a lot of her male coworkers had jars oh, yes, of urine yes. in their office, which ended up inspiring a little uh, bit uh, at one point in the show, where one of the writers, uh, uh, Frank, has, uh, has yes. the, the sun tea and the urine. Uh, on the desk. Well, I know. I'm. I feel like it's a. It's a. It's a net benefit. Though for, it's net net actually, uh, if not net 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 for me, because <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee when I'm in the workplace or yeah. working, and even in a coffee shop, of course. And uh, so I end up having to urinate a lot. So that means I'm. I'm getting out of my seat a lot. I'm walking around, so I'm getting extra exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's at least two nets. I don't know what the third one is. So I guess what you're saying is that if we didn't have an open office concept here at work. And we had walls that you might have jars in your office. I don't know. I'm, I don't I'm, think so. I don't right? think I would do that. No. But I, I certainly think we have some coworkers who might do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so, what else about caffeine and coffee can we say? Uh, well, the, the the creativity element yes. I thought was particularly interesting, and this comes uh, in large part from a recent New Yorker article titled "How Caffeine Short Circuits Creativity," mm-hmm. and it's it's really really interesting the idea it puts uh, this article puts forward because we generally come to accept this idea that coffee is good for creativity. We talked about uh, the you know the idea that when we stopped drinking beer and we started drinking coffee, then suddenly all this creativity is bounding uh, about and things are getting done with the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about you, you have that cup of coffee and suddenly you have ideas for the day about what's going to happen. Um, and we've discussed the things that it does, you know, increased neural firing, increased focus. But as this uh, article points out, one of the real one of the hallmarks of um, creativity, is, of course, uh, to have a wandering, unfocused mind, mm-hmm. to take this concept and pair it with this one, to be able to stare out the window and think, think, huh, you know, what if, uh, what if, what if dinosaurs had fur? Or uh, what if a pirate had a lucite leg and used it as an aquarium? Yes. So it's like a traveling there's, aquarium. There's a good one. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we have all these random ideas that might pop up, and this is a lot of uh, the, what it is to be creative. But if you are caffeinated to the gills and you're, you're focused on one task, then you're focused on one task, and you're not going to have all these random inspirations that mm-hmm. are coming to you. Yeah, those novel associations that mm-hmm. happen when we daydream. And I recall that we did an episode in which we saw a study in which uh, something like, 
50% of our waking hours are dedicated to daydreaming. Mm-hmm. So that obviously helps us tease out a lot of problems and, and comment things in a different angle and be extremely creative because, again, we're making those novel associations. But if you are caffeinated all day long, then the writer of this article, Maria Konnikova, says, hey... You could be actually stripping yourself of creativity. Yeah, and you don't have that mind wander time. You're not, your mind's not wandering, and it can also uh, have an effect on sleep. And uh, studies have shown that uh, that sleep is important for creative thinking. Uh, 2009 study, in fact, showed that people who experienced uh, REM sleep performed better on two tests of creative thinking uh, than those who simply rested or napped without entering the REM cycle. So I found this, of course, this made me sort of think a lot about my own creative processes and my own consumption of yeah. caffeine. I had that, that sort of panic moment of where I was like, oh, goodness, maybe I've got to stop drinking coffee if it's going to interfere with my creativity. But I think what the, the difference here is, and maybe it, you know, it's going to vary with each individual mind, mm-hmm. but I feel like I, I definitely have the type of mind that can make those, those uh, connections, like I can you know, wonder about a pirate with a lucite leg or a hairy dinosaur. <laughs> But then, uh, but it's one thing anybody can sit around and just dream up a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Right. But but can you then focus on it and do something with it? So I feel like that's where I need the caffeine. It's it's one thing for me to think, hmm, what have I blogged about the possible science behind this like weird worm monster I read about? You know, it's one thing to think about that. But I need the coffee to focus on it and to actually do it. So your natural state is to mind wander. Yeah, I think if I, I think caffeine, I'm not, you know, I don't want to ca- give caffeine too much credit because mm-hmm. it's not like if I quit drinking coffee, I would just be a complete disaster. I mean, I would because for a little bit because I'd get a, a headache that would make me want to curse God and die. Right. But uh, beyond that, and I, I'm not saying it's vital to my existence, but I do feel like it helps me focus on realizing some of the ideas that I get with my wandering mind. Well, I put this idea um, in front of Holly Fry of History Stuff. And Holly Fry, if you guys don't know, she she's extremely creative and she is doing things at all hours of, of creativity. Like she's just, I mean, she's stitching together things. She's making, I don't know, thumb cozies. Mm-hmm. If she has two minutes you know, to spare a thumb cozy, just all of a sudden, poof, it's there. Right. Um, She's extremely productive, and so and she drinks a ton of coffee. And so I put this idea forward to her, and then she looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I drink coffee at 11 o'clock at night. It helps me to continue with all the projects that I have buzzing around in my mind. And then I looked at her Fitbit, this bracelet that tracks her sleep and, and mm-hmm. all the steps that she takes. She's a cyborg. She's a cyborg, in addition to all this. And I noticed that she had made... um this rhinestone uh, sleeve for it because it, the Fitbit itself wasn't pretty enough. Huh. And the Fitbit is sitting there sparkling underneath the rhinestones. And I thought, no, I don't think that caffeine is taking away from her creativity. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it, it ultimately the, the, the message from this study may be that it's going to vary with the individual and that you should maybe consider not drinking coffee all the time. You right. Know, try it. Try, see what it's like without it. It's it's kind of like uh, you know in the same way that coffee has uh, has some similarities to other um, psychoactive uh, uh, chemicals and and uh, and drugs and things that alter our perception of reality or mm-hmm. our interface with reality. It's sometimes good to treat them, or often I guess you could say it's generally good to see those things as uh, like a telescope or a microscope, something that adds new perspective to life, but isn't the only way that you interact with it or glimpse it. 
Right. And you have to remember, too, that coffee is going to increase your own performance and, thing, and, and sort of like rote things that you do over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily going to make you uh, master a new skill. Yeah. Um, it might give you a little bit more energy for that skill, but that doesn't mean that you're going to become the conqueror of that. Um, so it was really good for, for bringing everything together, as you say, yeah. to a point. Um, oh, I, I should add, there's another thing that I do that I, I have found that coffee is not good for me at, and that is uh, sometimes to relax, I enjoy painting miniatures. And I've found that if I do it while drinking coffee or right after I drink coffee, mm-hmm. I'm just my, my, my hands are, are too unsteady. I don't have yeah. really steady hands anyway. And if I have the coffee, then it's 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 not good. Well, see, and and that ought to be a Zen-like activity anyway, right? Yeah. Where you don't need to be in the coffee realm. Exactly. Because you're just doing the one thing. Um, I would be very interested to hear from people about how coffee affects them, because I feel like some people are really sensitive to caffeine, while others can just, you know, drink it by the gallons. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've known people like my my friend Becky. Um, once claimed that she had some espresso chocolate at night and was up all night afterwards. See, and then, you know, is some of that psychosomatic or is that really, like, is your system that sensitive? Yeah. I believe that some people really are that sensitive to so. it. I think so. All right. Well, on that note, let's call over uh, the robot and see what kind of listener mail we have. Leave this one is uh, another one that has to do with the uh, sensory deprivation tanks. We've received a lot of cool comments on this episode so far, these episodes. By the way, uh, just a little tip. If you are going to go into a sensory deprivation tank, <laughs> do not drink caffeine beforehand. Yes. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Yeah, for a few different reasons. Uh, so this one comes to us from Seth. Seth writes in and says, Hi, Julian Robert. I recently uh, finished your episode on sensory deprivation tanks and wanted to write in with my story. During my senior year at college, I uh, interned at a neurofeedback clinic specializing in ADHD behavior modification therapy. One of the benefits of working at the clinic was the on-site sensory deprivation chamber that we call the float tank. I got in the float tank as much as I could during that year, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 times. Whoa. It was fascinating. Um, my experience with it was quite positive. The first time I got in, I was nervous and did not really relax or have any experiences. Apparently, this was normal. However, each subsequent visit resulted in more intense experiences and increased time spent in the tank. I've tried to describe my experiences to others and have always fallen short. The closest that I come, can come to describe it is that it feels like deep meditation with the benefits of a power catnap. I would emerge from the float tank after an hour and feel as if I had slept for three or four hours. Uh, I never had out-of-body experiences, but I did feel an overwhelming sense of calm and understanding. As a side note, the chief clinician at the clinic would sleep for only five hours a day, and he would do so in the float tank. He stated no. that he felt yes. He stated that he felt as if he had slept twelve hours afterwards. So, some advice on your future visits or visits to the float tank: visit it several times to get a good, real sense of it. Uh, anxiety about it is normal, uh, as it is abnormal. Uh, constructed is it is an abnormal constructed experience, and it is not found in nature uh, that we evolved in. But it is very enlightening. Thank you for the awesome show, Seth. Wow! Yeah, five hours in the tank. That was uh, that was really impressive when I read that because I'm also trying to do an, picture this dude who yeah. only sleeps in a in a sensory deprivation tank and do, only does so like five to six hours a night. That's amazing. I am going to put this out there that I he must not have a close significant other unless uh, not, they well maybe maybe, maybe they, they sleep together or maybe yeah. they exist solely in the astral plane. Oh, and that's, that's how beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. 
But, well, I can see now why those five hours would, would bear out something that felt like 12 hours because it is the most relaxing thing that I've ever done in my life. So I can't imagine sleeping through the evening in one of those. Cool. Yeah. All right, Seth. Well, thanks for writing in. Uh, for the, as for the rest of you, yeah, we would love to hear your thoughts on sensory deprivation tanks, on hairy dinosaurs, on pirates with blue sight uh, peg legs, and generally about creativity, about coffee, about your coffee consumption. Um, if you've recently started drinking coffee, what kind of changes have you noticed in your uh, physiology and in your thought process? Have you recently stopped drinking coffee? Tell us about that nightmare. We would love to hear from you. Uh, how can you get in touch with us? How can you find us? Well, the mothership, as always, is StuffToBlowYourMind.com. We are Stuff to Blow Your Mind on Facebook and Tumblr. Uh, our Twitter feed is Blow the Mind. And uh, over on YouTube, uh, our channel is Mind Stuff Show. And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMindAtDiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.